0: Would you turn to Mark 14, Mark 14,
1: and we'll be reading today from verse 17 to verse 21. Mark 14 from 17 to 21, and it reads, When it was evening, he came with a twelve. As they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, that one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me.
0: They began to be grieved and said to him one by one, Surely not I. He said to them, He's one of the twelve, one who dips with me in the bowl. For the Son of Man is to go just as it is written
1: of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Jonathan Andrew, Edward, the greatest theologian ever known in American history, the one who led the great awakening in the 18th century,
0: in his famous resolutions regarding
1: self-examination, he said, I quote, resolved. Constantly with the utmost
0: diligence and the strictest scrutiny to be looking into the state of my soul that I may know whether I have truly an interest in Christ
1: or not. Another resolution. He said, he writes, resolved.
0: To inquire every night as I'm going to bed wherein I have been negligent. What sin I have committed.
1: Also, at the end of every week, month and year. If Christian topics were meals to be eaten, Or how we
0: love the delicious meal of knowing the joy of the Lord. Or the sweet savour of the peace of God that surpasses understanding. But the bitter meal of self-examination to search our own hearts to see where we're at with God. It's too chilly for our likeness. It's hard to swallow. It upsets our spiritual stomachs. But would to God that he would give us today a double portion of Jonathan Edwards' spirit. Would to God that
1: we would examine ourselves. Am I a true follower of Jesus Christ? In spirit and truth. If Jesus
0: was here today, would I be like Judas Iscariot? And would I betray our Lord
1: for, for money? Would I betray him for my family? For my job? Because what leaps out of the, every verse in this passage and what
0: Jesus encourages the 12 disciples and beyond even the 12, and he presses hard upon all of us this morning,
1: even, even those that are truly saved, truly born again. Today, yes, even now, we must do stock take and self-examine our hearts. To each one of us, where do I really stand before God? Have our spiritual
0: life plummeted so low and in our pride we have become stagnant,
1: useless for his kingdom? Or are we walking so closely behind our
0: Lord Jesus Christ? Are we always in his shadow,
1: constantly loving him, ready to serve him, eagerly waiting for him? Where do we stand?
0: Well, so far in, in Mark 14, we've seen Mary's devotion to our Christ, how she joyfully, uh, willingly was ready to give Jesus all of her possession. In Judas, Iscariot, in contrast to Mary, He, he was ready to deliver Jesus to the religious leaders for 30 pieces of silver. Although Judas was one of the 12 apostles, and he did perform good Christian duties,
1: he lived pretty much almost all his life pretending to be a Christian. He was a false convert and God never regenerated his heart.
0: And we found from the scripture, and I would plead with you if you did not watch it yet, go back and listen, download these sermons, are you a false convert? We've seen in the scripture that one of the best ways to find out whether you're regenerated or not is growth. So self-examination begins with this.
1: Are we growing in our love to our Lord Jesus Christ? And is this love translated to loving His body, the bride, in a tangible way? Are you growing in your love for God's people? Are you? Because no matter else what you do, if
0: you're not growing in your love for God's people, those I'm, I'm not talking about those who are just in the outskirts who say that they are God's people. I'm talking about those people who love him and willing to live and
1: die for him alone. You grow in your love for them. Because if you're not growing in love for them, not willing to serve them, then what confidence do you have that you're saved? This is where self-examination begins. It's not where it ends. Of course, it goes deeper. For all Christians, I'm growing day by day. But this is where it begins. Well, we moved on
0: from there and we've seen in the last sermon in the Gospel of Mark, if you recall, that we were blown away by the extent of God's sovereignty. We saw how this invisible hand of God controls history, traditions of men and customs and all rituals such that that somehow that Jesus Got to keep the Passover feast on Thursday evening to obey all righteousness so that he could also give his final words to his disciples to wash their feet and to turn his ritual into a Christian ordinance that we would keep now as Christians all the way till he comes back and even beyond that most likely. And yet, all at the same time, somehow tomorrow, the following day, that is Friday, Jesus will be crucified at the exact day and time when the Passover lambs were slaughtered. So to fulfill the scripture to even the very letter, somehow he would keep the Passover and yet at the same time and the day, he would be the Passover. Amazing. How sovereign is our God? How mighty is it? God can do all, all things are possible for God. Praise God for that. Well, that was last message in the Gospel of Mark. And this message is about self-examination. And the first point that I present to you is pride exposed. That is really what self-examination does. It uncovers our false glory. It reveals who we really are in the sight of God. So we start by reading verse 17. It says, When it was evening, he came with the twelve. Well, again, just to set the background, John and Peter They fulfilled Jesus' task that He gave them. They took the Passover lamb on Thursday morning. They went all the way to the temple. They got the priest to slaughter the lamb. And then they moved on and they went to the city and they followed the man with the pitcher of water and they got to the upper room, which is the guest room. They got it ready. And they prepared it for the rest of the disciples and Jesus to meet them so that they all would celebrate the Passover feast. So, with that being said, and having that in the background, when it says he came with the 12, this with the 12 is a general reference to the 12 apostles. It's just a technical term. But in reality, It was Jesus and the ten disciples that went to the upper room and there they met John and Peter. And when I got there, as it says in verse 17, it was evening. So it would have been 6 p.m. Why? Because we know that from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. the animals were slaughtered. And so give and take about an hour for all the Jews to go back to, uh, or to go to Jerusalem in order to celebrate the Passover. And it would have been about 6 PM to start celebrating. Um, and according to Exodus, this celebration must be completed, done and dusted by midnight. So Jesus would have had in total six hours to fulfill his earnest desire. We've seen that in. In Luke 22, verse 15, Jesus had earnest desire to keep this feast with
1: his disciples. Now, what was in his earnest desire that he wanted to fulfill? Let me tell you. It was to expose the disciples' pride.
0: So when when you continue reading in verse 18, where it says, as as they were reclining at the table and eating, in this white space between verse 17 and verse 18, something bizarre took place. For that, I would ask you to turn to Luke 22, so we all can read it together. Luke 22, verse 24. Keep your finger in the Gospel of Mark 14. We'll come back to it. But for now, could you, would you turn to Luke 22, verse
1: 24? What happened? <clears throat> this is what happened. <clears throat> and there arose
0: also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be greatest.
1: So this is the third time recorded in the Gospels where those 12 disciples
0: acted like little children and they were fighting one another about
1: who is the greatest. So to the very last day, before Jesus would sacrificially give his life for them,
0: the disciples were full of themselves. They were carnal. They were fleshly. And so Jesus then responds and he says to them,
1: the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who have authority over them are called benefactors.
0: So those who are great in the eyes of the world, they
1: like to throw the weights around. They want to lord it over them. And I love to be consumers, not contributors. I love to
0: sit on soft cushions and get everybody else to serve them. And I love to get all kind of praises. In
1: verse 26, Jesus swings to the complete opposite side. And he says, But it is not this way with you, but the one who is the greatest among you must be like the youngest and the leader like the servant. Meaning, if you want to be great in the eyes of God, get off your high horse and serve. In fact, when you join the Gospel of John
0: to the Gospel of Luke, you find that after Jesus said this and gave him this turn of rebuke, he gave him an, a, a real
1: vivid example. Because while they were locking homes with each other, in the Gospel of John 13, what did Jesus do? He got up. He took off his rope, put on a towel, got on his knees, and washed and scrubbed the disciples' dirty feet.
0: Now, what we need to understand, so we can put it in context back then, obviously people didn't wear socks and shoes to cover their feet. They had only open sandals, yeah? And so you can just imagine how dirty. These people's feet were probably even full of fungus and bacteria when when the only vehicles they had at that time were animals that bait pretty much pooed everywhere and it was lots of walking. So to wash someone's feet at that time was considered the most demeaning and the most degrading task and was normally given to the lowest class of servants.
1: So after Jesus washed their feet, her foul, smelly feet, he
0: said in John 13:14, "If I then the Lord and
1: teacher washed your feet, You also ought to wash one another's feet."
0: Verse 15. For I gave you an example that you
1: also should do as I did to you. Do you want to be great in the eyes of God? Do you want to be useful, instrument in God's hands? Roll up your sleeves, get on your knees. Keep your head low and serve one another. This was such a stern rebuke to these prideful disciples. And the question
0: is begging us to ask, why did Jesus wash your feet? How is washing their feet is related to their pride? Let me tell you something very, very important that we need to take to
1: heart. Arrogant people don't serve. You see? No. They're good. They're too good to stoop down and wash somebody else's feet. If anyone is worthy to be served, the prideful person would say, it's me.
0: I'm worthy to be served. So arrogant people don't really feel compelled to meet other people's need. They hardly make any sacrifices for others. Obviously, unless it won't inconvenience them. Yeah, I'll do something on my way to work.
1: Absolutely. No problem. No. Rather, prideful people, they, they grumble and
0: complain when others don't Serve them well.
1: And such were the disciples. So what did Jesus do? He exposed their ugly sin of
0: pride at this Passover feast, obviously and no doubt in the hope that they would repent of this sin of pride. So now while we're in a spirit of self-examination, Before we begin to throw stones at the disciples, let us do inventory check of our own hearts
1: this morning. Let us do soul searching before the Lord and ask ourselves, is there any sin of pride in me that the Lord wants me to repent of? And we must ask ourselves, how much, really, am I, am I willing to serve the brethren? How much am I willing
0: to sacrifice in serving Jesus' disciples? We would to God that we would take the Lord's example
1: and His turn rebuke to heart and humble ourselves in serving one another. How do we do this? How do we serve one another?
0: Really, practically. I want to give you maybe just some ideas, some hints. In one hand, to compare yourself against absolutely, but on the other hand, to move forward, how we serve one another. You know, there are some of us here take the initiative and they come half an hour earlier before the service begins. They prepare coffee, food. Make sure that the place is ready for worship.
1: Welcome new visitors. And and those, those of us come half an hour early
0: as a form of service, believe it or not, and they pray with us in that room. Begging God and pleading with God that He would magnify His Son among us on that day. Maybe
1: rather than coming on time so that only to be served, perhaps come earlier and ask, what can I do? Can I prepare food? Can I prepare coffee? Or if not, just come and pray. So I'll give you another example. Well, the last couple of years, you know that there is sickness going around
0: then you could reach out to the sick people among us. Again, as I said informally before, I said again formally, that while the world is cowering away for the last two years, and even before that, and they would say, oh, my safety, my health, what if I get sick? What if my my brother gets sick or my son gets sick? What if my cat or my dog gets sick? And then they They stay somewhere and hide behind a closet somewhere. This is how the world responds to sickness. I thank God for those among us who reached out to the sick, those among us. Who were willing to put their own health and even the health of their loved ones, their family at risk for Jesus sake. And they moved out of their way and reached out to the sick among us, those who need help the most. I say to them in the name of God and I stand upon the word of God and I
1: say to them. Great is your reward in heaven. For one cup you give to those that are Jesus' disciples, you will not lose your reward. God is faithful. So perhaps you can change your mindset and
0: you could say, you know what, I'm going to teach my son. I'm going to teach my wife. How that my self-preservation and my safety is not the goal of life. Jesus is. And to lose my life for the sake of Christ
1: is so much better gain than to preserve my health and lose my reward what a beautiful thing to teach your children, to teach your wife, to teach your husband that Christ and His desire stands above even my safety. And
0: I want to teach my wife and my children that gaining eternal rewards and fulfilling God's desire, Jesus' desire,
1: even if I put My health at risk is a good thing. Am I being radical? So was Jesus. When he offered himself and sacrificed his life for his people. Or perhaps third and final way of serving. You can... You can invite your brothers over for dinner. Talk about
0: the things of God. That's great. But intentionally ask that brother or this sister, how can I serve you? Make it intentional that you want to place yourself at the feet of your brother or sister.
1: Say yes, invite them over. Talk about the things of God. Then fire that question. They're not
0: going to get offended. Trust me. No one gets offended when you ask him, how can I serve you? How can I pray for you and use this as a springboard to find out their needs and meet their needs?
1: Let us examine ourselves. Are we arrogant people? Or are we, for Jesus' sake, wanting to be humble? Arrogant people don't feel really compelled to serve by sacrifice. That's the
0: first point. And that's what self examination does. It does expose our pride and it un- uncovers, as I said, our false glory. Second point s- self examination, what does it do? Second point self confidence is dismantled. It strips us away from our self-reliance, self-trust. So let's now read verse 18. It says, As they were reclining at the table and eating. Now, <clears throat> let's connect the dots. Uh, in, the, in the first Passover feast, you'll find that in Exodus 12, 11. It tells us that the Jews ate in a hurry while they were standing. But over the years, uh, this feast has become a long celebration. So we're back at the Gospel of Mark, by the way, verse 18, right? I hope you know that. So over the years, long celebration meant that they would recline and uh, they would chat for hours. And in the first century, in their culture, they, they they didn't sit when there's a feast, they were reclined. Um, they took place around a table which is about 20 centimeters off the ground, and they would lie with their left elbow on a cushion so they can eat with their right hand. So you can imagine the legs would be extended away from the table such that. Um, one's head would be leaning on the chest of the person sitting next to him. Okay. That's why in the gospel of John 13, 23, it tells us that John was leaning his head on whose bosom? Jesus. Now, why is this significant? Well, according to most theologians, and commentators, which I believe to be true, especially if you piece together the seating arrangement from, from all the Gospels.
1: <clears throat> guess who was sitting next to Jesus on the other side? Judas, right? Now, if John leaned his head on Jesus'
0: chest, then guess whose chest Jesus was leaning his head
1: upon, far out. This makes the betrayal far more graphical, far more
0: intense and vivid. So as as they were reclining and it says they were eating, let me just take you there and I want you to, be with the twelve disciples, and you see what happens chronologically. You know you're there with the twelve disciples, and you've seen um, in your mind this picture where Jesus' head on Judas' chest, and John's head and Jesus' chest, and legs extended away from the table, and they were eating a Passover. First, they would have this wine diluted with water, it's mixed with water. that would drink the wine. Jesus then would begin to explain a Passover uh, story and how God redeemed his people from Egypt. And, and I would sing a song from Psalms and it would be a praise song, hallelujah songs from Psalm 113 to 115.
1: that would drink another cup of wine with water. And just before the roasted lamb would be served,
0: just after they drink that glass of wine, there would be a bowl full of grounded um, fruit and nuts and a mix. Um, bitter herbs with, with this, it's just a symbolic to refer back to the bitter bondage their forefathers experienced when they were slaves in Egypt. And I would have to eat this as a, an entree, if you like, for the main meal. And Jesus would break unleavened bread.
1: He would give it to the 12 disciples so that they would all eat together. And it is at this very moment, Jesus drops a bombshell. So he says there, Jesus said, truly I say to you, pay
0: attention to what I'm about to say and take it to heart. Give me your
1: ease, Jesus says. One of you will betray me. John 13, 21, John gives us a more
0: description of Jesus' emotion at that time. And in John 13, 21, it says, he became troubled in spirit. You could see it in his face. Jesus was grieved. He was unsettled. And when Jesus said that one of you will betray me, they began to be grieved, verse 19 tells us. You can just imagine. Their jaws would have dropped to their feet. Their heart would have sunk. They were stunned by what Jesus said. In fact, Matthew 26, it tells us that they were deeply grieved. The word grieved carries the idea that they were sad, sorrowful, to be in pain. You can translate that and say, they were in pain.
1: And so to be deeply grieved is to be very sorrowful. To be deeply in pain. So they would have lost all strength. And then they were, they were at the verge of, of depression. How come? Well, Jesus did tell them, in numerous occasions about his impending death, they weren't
0: surprised to know that, that he's going to die. They knew. They knew that the religious leaders wanted Jesus dead.
1: So this was nothing new to them. But to be betrayed? By whom? One of them
0: One who lived with Jesus, walked with Jesus for three years.
1: How? Who would commit such atrocity? Their brain must have been ticking. There's a traitor in the midst. Now to make it more heart-wrenching
0: and very distressing... Jesus adds the following words.
1: He says, one who's eating with me. This is like getting a knife in the heart and twisting it more. And they're already wounded heart. Because
0: in the ancient Middle East, this is very important to know. In fact, till this day, in many places in in, in the Middle East, to eat a meal with someone is considered to be the deepest and the most intimate kind of friendship. The two would be considered a family. They're now brothers. And you just don't have a meal with your brother. And after that, you go and deliver him to his death. You don't do that. So this would have been the
1: lowest level of betrayal, the height of unfaithfulness. What a sellout. So in verse 19, it says, They began to be grieved, we saw that. But now pay attention to what they did. They say and to say to him one by one, surely not I. So each one takes his turn and they ask Jesus, um is it me? So they started examining themselves, they had self-doubt. Could it be me? He said, Yes, we are prideful people, and our Lord just rebuked us for that, but to stab our
0: master in the back to be so disloyal to our devotion to him and to deliver him cold-blooded
1: to his death. Wow, that's another thing altogether. But, you see, but, but now because of the
0: exposure of their pride and the master's rebuke was still fresh in their mind, perhaps... They were so ashamed of what Jesus did when he washed their feet in contrast to their attitude towards one another.
1: Maybe um, this made them sensitive to how wicked their hearts could potentially be. They would have thought, well, if we were so prideful,
0: There's no desire to serve, no willingness to sacrifice for one another because we are so self-absorbed, so self-focused, even after being with our Lord for three long
1: years. Who knows how far our wicked heart would lead us to? So each one started questioning his own integrity, Surely not I. That's what most likely led them to be deeply grieved. Of
0: course, they had affection for Christ. But the possibility to betray him would lead them to be deeply grieved. Now, what did Jesus do in response? How did, how did Jesus respond to that? Did, did Jesus say, oh, no, don't feel so bad. It's not It's not you. Stop examining yourselves. I mean, after all, I, I came here so that you can feel good about yourselves.
1: Did he say that? When I came here to give you abundant life, feel good, right? No. Jesus did nothing to ease their pain of self-examination. Do you know what he did? He intensified their process of self-examination. We
0: read that. We read in verse 20. Let's read verse 20. Says, And he said to them, it is one of the twelve. One, pay careful attention to this, who dips with me in a bowl. (laughs) Dips with me in a bowl. Jesus. You just broke the unleavened bread and you distributed it to all of us. Verse 18, it says, they were eating, right? They were reclining and eating.
1: Meaning, Jesus, look, uh, our hands are full of crumbs of all these bitter herbs and nuts.
0: Meaning, all of us have been eating with you. All of us have dipped our hands into the same bowl as you. So none of us
1: have any better idea of who the betrayer is than before what you said, what you just said. What was Jesus doing? know what he was doing? He was helping
0: them to cultivate this beautiful attitude of
1: self-examination. Self-confrontation. Because this
0: self-examination, as you begin to eat this bitter meal, it will lead you to distrust yourself, and that's a good thing. And Jesus was in the process to strip them away of their self-trust, self-confidence, this spiritual disease that gives you false assurance that you're morally good, upright, in a good stand
1: before God without really needing any of God's strength to live. His self-confidence that they had is fading away.
0: Each disciple is now becoming more of a judge of his own self. He's placing himself behind bars. And questioning himself, could it be me that will betray my master?
1: In their deep grief, each one asked, is it our Lord? What is Jesus saying here? He's basically saying to them, that's a good
0: question that you just asked me. I want you to park there for a while.
1: Reflect on it. Ponder upon it. Could it be you that will betray me? And it's as though
0: Mark wants this question to travel through the corridor of time and find itself in the mind of every reader and every hearer in this
1: room. Would I betray Jesus? Is it I, Lord? For Judas, the Bible tells us that he was a thief. His God was his wallet. And when he came to the crunch of it, he
0: chose his wallet over Christ. So he betrayed him for 30 pieces of
1: silver. What about us? What about you? Do you have an idol in your heart that you would betray Jesus for? Could it be your family is your idol? If you would have to choose between your husband, your wife, your your son, or Jesus. When it comes to the crunch, really, when it comes to the crunch, not. When it's convenient, but when it comes to the crunch, would you say that you love your family more than Christ? Who do you love more? What about, what about your job? Uh, what about your house? What about your mortgage? Would you be willing to deny Christ of your service to his bride so that you would pay off your mortgage to look after your job and career.
0: Perhaps persecution and you try to avoid to avoid persecution and you would say oh look you know I I will love and obey Jesus so long
1: As I do not get persecuted. When it comes to my health, I draw a line on the sand. Jesus, my life consists of my health. This is the question that is leaping
0: out of this passage and God is pressing each one of us in the corner and we must seek genuine answer to this
1: question. Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? We can't brush it off. We can't. When Peter denied the Lord Jesus Christ, remember? Remember when he denied him?
0: And he wept bitterly, rightly so. And Jesus did. Say in agreement with Peter. Is this wrong? Totally wrong. Do you know if Peter did not deny the Lord Jesus, what would have happened to Peter? He
1: would have died. And yet this denial was so heinous and it was so ugly. Do you understand what I'm saying? Even your own death, God says our love to Christ And our devotion to him must be steady. Just because no one will ever find out the answer to this
0: question for your life, it doesn't mean that God doesn't know it. I point you to to Judas. None of the disciples suspected Judas to be the traitor. You know, in John 13, still within this passage, it tells us that those disciples were, and I'm reading here, at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. They had no idea. It's like in their minds, I would say, no way it was Judas. After all, he's a treasurer. If anyone among us who had integrity and was beyond reproach, it would have been Judas. So he was out of the spotlight. He was
1: the least suspected to be the traitor. But yeah, Jesus read Judas' heart like an open book. And even when Judas played the hypocrite and the
0: Bible tells us that he too asked the Lord, surely not I. But he did ask why. So he would blend in with the
1: rest of the 11. In Matthew 26 verse 25 tells us that Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. You have said it yourself. No one knew it was
0: Judas, but the Lord knows even the secret things of of the heart. And still till today, Jesus knows our deepest and hidden thoughts. We can't fool Him. Or how this passage begs us to say with the psalmist in Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. I know my anxious thoughts. And
1: if there is, and if there be any hurtful way in me
0: and lead me in the everlasting way.
1: We can't have idols in our hearts and ignore them. Do you know why? We must deal with our idols in our hearts like you deal with a rattlesnake in your lap. Why? Let me tell you why.
0: Let's continue with the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, and now we'll read verse 21.
1: For the Son of Man is to go, just as it is written of Him. But woe to that man, by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if what? He had not been born. Now, because of time and because of the severity of this warning in this verse, I decided to dedicate an entire sermon, Lord willing, next week to flesh out this verse. I don't recall many verses in the scripture that would give such severe warning. If we do not self-examine, if we do not search our hearts before God, if you would brush off the rattlesnake that you may have, Failure to self-examine
0: biblically and genuinely, you may be weighed
1: in the balance and found wanting. If you're a Christian and you do not self-examine, let me tell you, you you will go to heaven by the skin of your teeth. But for eternity to come, no rewards. No rewards for eternity to come.
0: You may just get a shed somewhere in the outback of Antarctica for the, for the rest of eternity. And we praise God that your sins are forgiven.
1: But how useless would your life be? Don't brush it off. Or. You may be a false convert and you don't realize because you never examine yourself biblically, and
0: you may end up being like Judas. And if that is true, then let me tell you what Jesus said. For the Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him. Meaning Jesus' death, even his betrayal and his suffering, everything that happened to Jesus is according to God's decreed will. God ordained it before the foundation of the world. Jesus was never a victim of any evil plan. Jesus' death was not an oversight. Meaning Jesus did not somehow fall into the trap of Judas' evil plotting. No, Jesus died and the scripture makes it clear. He died
1: giving up his life voluntarily at his own will. He died exactly how God intended for him to die. And he died exactly
0: when God intended for him to die. Judas' rejection of the Saviour and even his evil plotting and his evil scheme are simply
1: instrument in, in God's redemptive plan. So Judas' personal and own
0: response, his own decision to reject Jesus, to betray Him, God sovereignly ordained it and God sovereignly used it to bring about even
1: the most glorious blessings ever known to man. Yet, all at the same time, Jesus says, and we'll continue reading, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. This is not just a, a woe of warning. This is a, a woe of divine judgment, because by this point, Judas sealed his fate. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born.
0: Meaning God holds Judas personally responsible. Judas was culpable for his evil
1: actions. Judas, like all of us, was free to choose evil or good, to believe in Christ or to reject Christ. And in his own wicked heart, he chose the latter. He rejected Christ. Jesus
0: gave this man ample of opportunity to come out and confess his sin and to genuinely lay hold of Christ to be his
1: Lord and Saviour. He heard the gospel preached so many times, yet freely, at his own will, he chose the path that led to hell. He marched
0: forward to the day of reckoning with full force while his
1: eyeballs were staring at the light of the gospel. Well, how many gracious opportunities
0: did our Lord present to Judas and yet he turned
1: them all down. We would lose count if we would even try to list them all. When Jesus said, one of you will betray me. Or when Jesus washed Judah's feet. Or when he said, one who's eating with me. One who dips with me in a bowl.
0: And remember, Jesus said all of these things when his head was leaning in Judah's chest. And all of
1: these were to... Trick Judas' conscience to soften his heart. But no. None of these moved Judas. He did not flinch. And Judas' heart was
0: hard as a rock. His conscience was seed. He was never willing to examine himself or to admit his sin or put his trust in Christ. What a tragedy. And so Jesus says. It would have been good for Judas if he had not been
1: born because what awaited Judas it's eternal hell fire Where worms do not die and fire is not quenched. What about you this morning? Would Jesus say the same thing about your life that he said about Judas? Would he say it would have been good for you if he had not been born? Because if you do not repent, if you do not put your trust in Jesus, what was awaiting waiting for Judas would be awaiting for you. And so as we come to the end and we land the plane
0: now. And as we spoke about the bitter meal of
1: self-examination, I want to offer you another meal. Because Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to be. Will never hunger. And he who believes in me. Will never thirst. I offer to you today. God's perfect sacrifice. Jesus Christ. Who lived a perfect obedient life. That you could never
0: live. And as he went. Marching to the cross,
1: it was to bear the sins of sinners that you and I should not have committed.
0: And on that cross, he offered himself as the lamb of God, the real lamb of God. And he would say to the father, let me be the sacrifice. I'm the one who now is carrying the sins of those sinners. Let me bear your wrath. Let me satisfy your justice. Let me satisfy all that is required of those sinners to be saved. Let me be their lamb
1: and pay the price for their sins. Friend, I offer you the only and the
0: perfect sacrifice. That if you truly believe today
1: that Jesus on the cross, this Jesus was a perfect sacrifice for you, this day, no, this hour, now even this moment will be
0: the greatest moment of your life. Because this moment, all your sins are forgiven. In Christ, you'll be accepted in God's kingdom. in Christ, no, not just in God's kingdom, but even His own family. and you will be able to say to God, our Father. And you'll be able to enter into that throne of God at any moment without fear of being struck dead
1: because Jesus would have paid the price for you. Would you believe in Christ this moment? Would you
0: come to him with all of your sins and all of your evil, wicked, even pride? Even if you found yourself to be a betrayer of Christ, even if you're 10,000 worse than Judas Christ,
1: than Judas Iscariot, I'm sorry. Jesus. Is such a great savior.
0: No matter how much of a great sinner you are, he will accept you and he will eternally hug you if you but come to him and receive him as your perfect sacrifice. Let's pray. Lord God, what a message. We examine ourselves this morning, Lord. Who of us would say? There is no room to grow. Thanks be to your son Jesus who paid the sin of our own pride and our own betrayal and our idols. He paid the sin already and we are perfect in your sight because of the
1: blood of Jesus. Lord, would you draw to yourself those among us who would
0: betray you? who have not yet come to Christ for salvation, would you draw them to you this morning, Lord God? And those Christians among us, lead us to repentance, Lord, we beg you, lead us to repentance, That lead us to change of heart, that we would be wanting to love you by loving our brethren, and that we'll be willing to serve, even laying our lives for the brethren, Lord, just like you do.